So welcome. Thank you for uh, having me. I'm all the way from Hollywood, California. So I was talking to the farmer out there. I stole an apple and uh, and I told him I grew up on a farm in Virginia, but uh, now I'm about as far away from a farm as you can be in Hollywood. I do miss it, so it's good to be here. I, I noticed this uh, is pegged. Did anyone notice that? That's hard to build. I lived with the Amish for two and a half years. I don't know if you guys, everybody familiar with the Amish in the United States? So uh, I've been given a wide uh, berth in terms of what I can talk about. So I'm going to combine two things. Uh, I'm an investor is my background. Uh, I was here, I think we met at, was it at LBS? Is that? I did a talk at LBS on my way. I did a TED talk recently. Uh, and so I'm going to share some of the same things that I talked about in my TED talk, but I'll combine it since this is more of a, not a pure business audience. Uh, I thought I would bring in some of the stuff that I learned from living with the Amish for two and a half years. And uh, so no electricity. And now I live, you know, Beverly Hills, Hollywood. And so my life has been one big experiment. So I will share with you the experiment. And uh, my TED talk is called Why I Read a Book a Day. So I, I own the second biggest book club in the world uh, after Oprah Winfrey. She has the first largest one. And I do reviews. And this just started, uh, I think I'll start this way. At this point, I, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, 20 years. And uh, I started on a farm with an apprenticeship with a guy named Joel Salatin, who some of you may have heard of. I don't know if you've ever read the book Omnivore's Dilemma. Has anybody read that? It's kind of about Joel Salatin and his farm. He's one of the guys who started organic agriculture in the world. So. At 18 years old, I was deciding whether I should go to university. My, and my stepdad said, Ty, you can go to university later. This guy, Joel Salton's willing to offer you an apprenticeship. So I went up there not knowing what I, would get in, what I was getting into. And it was a big farm like this, 200 hectares. And little did I know, I was walking into the path of a true Renaissance man, not many Renaissance People live, are alive. They say Karl Marx was the last true Renaissance man. Joel Salatin is one of those people. And the first thing that Joel Salatin told me, I got there, and there was a river to get to his farm. And uh, a huge storm came, the biggest in the history of Virginia. 200 years, there hadn't been a storm this big, and it washed away the bridge. And we woke up one morning, and Joel Salatin is one of those rare people that I occasionally bump into now that are like what, that uh, have what Warren Buffett talked about or what you were talking about, flow. Joel Salatin, I call it tap dancing out of bed, tap dancing to work. And I rarely meet that uh, people like that anymore. But this is the only day in my two and a half years, I was with Joel Salatin for about two years, that I ever saw him not tap dance to work. And it was when that bridge was washed away. And he looked at me and he said, Ty, Nature laughs last. And that was the first of many quotes, sayings that I've been collecting uh, over the years. And he said, you know, Ty, the best laid plans are easily overridden by Mother Nature. And so I said, hmm, and I filed that away. And I've been collecting these kind of quotes and sayings 
I do read a book a day, and I've been doing the same thing, trying to find the world's best minds, their ideas on life. I call it now living the good life. That's a term from Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, Plato's called eudaimonia, the good life. That's how we translate it now. It's not the best translation. I define it as the four pillars, health, wealth, love, and happiness. If you want those four, which few people are ever able to find all four, I think you have to collect the wisdom uh, of the world's greatest minds. And I've been cataloging these. I came up with two or 300, but I realized that was too many for my brain. So I distilled it down. I read a, a research study here. It was actually from University College London that said, take 66 days on average to change your brain. Start rewiring new habits and so on. So I added one more for good luck, and I call it 67 steps. So I'll share a little bit of these 67 steps, and I'll share some of them that are related to business, but also related to the Amish. So first let me say, the reason I read a book a day is not to be able to say, oh, I read a book a day. It's actually much easier than people think. I do a lot of mentorships, and, and people, all of a sudden I get them reading a book a day, and they're like, wow, this is life-changing. It's not that hard. It takes you maybe an hour. I'm a pretty fast reader, but even if you're not a fast reader. Why is that important for you? Well, if you read, anybody here ever read The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins? 1976, one of the most important books ever written. If you go on my website, I list out what I think are the most important books. There's been 130 million books published in history, approximately. Uh, at best, I would like if I live long, knock on wood, I'd like to read 10,000 books before I die. But that's a little blip, obviously, on 130 million. So there's 100 books, 150 books. Where did I get that number that I think are important for you to read? And I think, everybody know who Robin Dunbar is? Actually a UK uh, anthropologist, sociologist. And he said that the human brain is only acclimated, it's only wired to handle relationships with about 150 people. So we all come from the African savanna. We evolve very slowly. Homo sapiens are maybe 100, 150,000 years old. That means you and I basically have the same brain as someone living in the African savanna. So in that climate, atmosphere, this how many people are here? About 100? This is what we're wired to be able to handle. So in books, if you see books as friends, you only need about 100 and 150 and read them over and over. And one of those books is A Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. Why are books so important? And mentors, like Joel Salatin was for me. I've had about five mentors. Two of them were billionaires. Three of them were multimillionaires, but not necessarily money-focused. Joel Salatin was not money-focused, although now he's very wealthy by chance. I mean, by, uh, by, it's a byproduct of all the things that he's done, but it hasn't been a primary goal of his. Simulation machines. So there's a saying, Warren Buffett, the billionaire, he says, we only learn by mistakes. That's true. But it's a hell of a lot easier to learn from other people's mistakes. So the, one of the myths that we've grown up believing it's a social meme. If you know what memes are, memes are like genes, but they're socially transmitted. <clears throat> they're probably more parasitic than any gene you can get. A lot of us, if you're from Africa, you may have a gene that makes you 
prone to sickle cell anemia or diabetes. If you are Jewish, you'll have different genes uh, in all most races. White people, if you're Swedish, if you go out in the sun too much, you don't have enough melanin, you will get skin cancer if you move to Brazil or something like that. So we all have genetic weaknesses for the environments in which we find ourselves now. Social memes uh, are genetic, or, or I should say socially transmitted genes that harm us, and this is one of them. All of us have been lied to that you will go through life uh, making a lot of mistakes and that you have to. It's not true. If all of us got on an airplane, I just flew, I've been on a whirlwind trip. I flew in the last 10 days. I flew from L.A. to Germany, did two talks there, went to New York City, did a couple talks, then I flew here. Uh, I did a talk yesterday and came for this one. If I got on that airplane or if you got on the next airplane and the pilot said, I hope you're excited to be on this flight because this is my first one, you would quickly exit the plane. What you want is a pilot who has simulated life, or I should say the flight, before he got on the plane in a flight simulator, sitting there. Make your crashes in an artificial environment. Your brain has evolved. You know, the human brain is large. 2% of your body weight is, uh, is your brain, it, what, your brain take, or what your brain weighs, but it takes up 30% of the glycogen that you burn every day. So human evolution has put, made the brain a primary, uh, a primary focus of your development. It's very hard on women to give birth to babies with such big heads. That's true. You know, if you look at the cows being born here, those calves hit the ground and they can basically walk and run immediately. So what's the adaptive purpose for you and I to have big brains? We're very vulnerable for years when we're born, because you know, a little baby's head is so big, they look like little, do you guys know what Mr. Potato Heads are? <laughs> That's how babies look. The reason is, is so you can simulate the future without living it. Why is that important? Well, trial and error, what's wrong with trial? It takes time, right? John Keats, the great poem, poet said, if I just had more time, I would be remembered. Now. He seems to be remembered. We're still talking about him now. But for you and I, if you want to have impact on the world, if you want to change the world, you'll need as much time as possible. Simulation will give you that time. If you want to go into business, 90% of businesses fail in five years, whatever their purposes be, might be hardcore capitalism or you know, social engineering philanthropy. They still fail because trial takes too much time. And what's the problem with error? Error is fatal. If you don't believe that that's true, if you believe, you know, I posted on my Facebook, I said, if karma seems to be the most egocentric of all ideas of humans, because ask the 99.99% of all species ever existed on this planet, how karma affected them. Or look at the you know, Cro-Magnon man, all these people are, are Neanderthals. We wiped them off the planet. Now, is that good or bad? I don't know. I try to remove the word good or bad. I think it's one of the social memes that's a problem in the world for you and I. What I try to think is Newton's third law. That's true, cause and effect. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. If you don't believe that you can fail, you will not put the utmost attention to simulation. But 
my suggestion to you is we're hardwired. When you look at another person, you see how big their head is? When you eat food and you're hungry, that's all your brain saying, give me more glycogen. Why? So you can simulate. So read more. If you're reading a book a year, it's not enough. It's not enough simulation. If you're reading a book a week, maybe you're getting closer. I'm not sure that there's a hard and fast number. Why books? Well, mentors are better. But I just read recently My Life by Mahatma Gandhi. He's dead. Possibly for me, impossible for me to simulate his life. But, I mean, in person, possible for me to simulate. But I can read his autobiography. Business, you can take, and I recommend all of you, one of 67 steps is avoid the logical fallacy of arguing ad, uh, of ad hominem. Does anybody know what ad hominem means? That means uh, another way to put it, the cognitive bias. There's 25 cognitive biases that all make us make mistakes. One of them is called liking and disliking bias. If Adolf Hitler walked in here and said one plus one is two, and Mother Teresa was right behind him saying no, one plus one is three, all of us would go, I don't really like that Adolf Hitler guy. We'd ignore the truth that he might bring. But truth is truth, right? One plus one is two. So I was reading a book after I read Mahatma Gandhi. If you want to know business, I recommend you read the book by the most successful businessman of our time, at least if you measure success by pure capital, finance, income. That's Sam Walton. He started Walmart. Now, you may hate Walmart as a company, but as Sun Tzu says in The Art of War, if you know yourself, but not your enemy, for every battle you win, you will lose one. But if you know yourself and you know your enemy for every battle, yeah, you can go into battle and never be afraid. So I know some people don't like Sam Walton or Bill Gates, but there are men of immense uh, power for you to simulate what you have to do. Sam Walton made $160,000 million. What's important about that? Well, I've always found in one of the 67 steps beyond simulation is go straight to the top. My brother wants to learn basketball. I said, and he was learning from his buddy who's pretty good at basketball. I said, why don't you go online and learn from Michael Jordan? Same amount of time simulating, but a lot more lessons to be learned. So in business, what, as I was saying, for each of you here, and I always remind myself, this is talking to myself at the same time, read more and read a varied, uh, from a varied audience. Read from your enemies, read from people diametrically opposed to your values, because you can be like Robin Hood. I always say this, and now I'm in the UK, so it's very <laughs> appropriate to speak of, of Robin Hood. I always saw myself as somebody poor taking from the rich. But it's not taking money. It's taking ideas. Now, I'm going to bounce around, as you can see. If anybody wants me to stop and talk longer on one thing, I can't get through 67 things in 25 minutes. So simulation, reading more, that's a pretty easy takeaway. The average person in America buys now 17 books a year. But they only read about one or two of them. I don't know what the number here is in the UK. I would guess it's probably relatively similar. And the reason that none of us do uh, or read as much as we want is because 
And this is another of the 67 steps. I'm not a super spiritual person in the sense that people consider it, but as I get older, I find myself reverting back to spiritual <laughs> sayings because they seem to have stood the test of time. And one of them is faith. So to me, faith is seeing the reward before you have it. Each of you have something that you consider the good life. Some of you, it's wealth. Some of you, it's health. I would assume this group is, a, is wanting health, wealth, love, and happiness. All four of those things at once. Which is, by the way, very difficult to do. I saw this. It's called the happiness, it's happiness camp, right? Is that the? Happy startup. Happy startup. Sorry. Uh, the yogurt thing threw me on the way here. The yogurt, what's it called? Yogurt farms or something? Yogurt rooms. Yogurt rooms. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I want to bring up one thing before I forget, because this isn't something I normally talk about, but has anybody ever here read uh, Freud's Civilization as Discontents? Read that. It's an essay. It's eight pages. It's the most powerful thing you'll ever read on happiness. Here's my advice on happiness, not my advice, but the advice from what I think the wisest people on this planet, whether it be Aristotle, Alexander the Great, uh, Gandhi, Mother Teresa. Happiness is the fulfillment of pent-up desires. Therefore, you will never achieve constant happiness any more than you would constantly enjoy eating a meal. A philosopher did a experiment, mental experiment. You can try it on yourself now. It's called the hedonic machine. If each of us could go into a machine right now, and what's the most intensive human feelings is probably orgasm, let's say. If you could go into a hedonic machine and, and continually experience an orgasm for the end, from today to the end of your life, who would want that? And the answer is nobody, because we experience happiness in proportion to contrasts, right? The second you went in a machine and, con and continually experienced that, a new bar would be set, and they say on an evolutionary scale, your brain ratchets up 127%. So the second you felt that, you would now go, that's normal, I want something else. Just think about food. There was a, I read somewhere they used to, I think it was, some country in Southeast Asia used to torture people by making you eat until you died. In order to enjoy food, you have to feel hungry sometime. In order to truly achieve happiness, there has to be times when you're unhappy. You must be depressed sometimes. I think a better word than happiness, not to change the name of your camp but, or your, your event, is fulfillment. Fulfillment is what I was talking about, tap dancing to work. I believe that is a possible state to achieve at all times. There, I was reading an interesting, uh, a guy in Sing Sing prison. Let me, I'll read it here. He was, uh, I don't know if he was falsely put in prison, but he was put in prison for longer than he should have been put in prison. And he wrote this, I'll try to, if I can find it here which this is a man that I think achieved the fulfillment that you and I want, not the happiness. Uh, as Will Durant says, actually, about happiness, if you've never read Will Durant, he said, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning historian. He said, how do you define progress? Happiness? 
But idiots are happier than geniuses. Those we most respect seek greatness, not happiness. I think you could substitute the word impact. If you can walk away from this planet having left impact, uh, I think you will have done more than an egocentric approach to just having happiness. Actually, the, the happiest people statistically on the planet are people with Down syndrome. Now, that's not to disparage people with Down syndrome, but it's to say that that is not necessarily a state you and I were equipped to continually be in. So, let's see if I can find this here. I should have had it ready, sorry. Uh, Amish. What did I learn at the Amish related? Again, I'm bouncing around through 67 things. So here's what I learned at the Amish. There's a tremendous power in community. Jonathan Haidt, professor at NYU, he wrote the book, The Happiness Hypothesis. Him and Martin Seligman may be the two living uh, scientists, researchers that know the most about happiness. He said that humans are hive animals. We do best in a hive. Matt Lieberman wrote a book called Social. What I learned at the Amish is that health, wealth, love, love, the third pillar of the good life that I talk about, comes from friends, family, and romance. To the extent that you can build these very strong, you will become more fulfilled. Flow you brought up. Now, the Amish, here's the problem in the modern world. There's an evolutionary mismatch. We live in, who here lives in London? There's, what, 10 million people? If you're not careful, you will do what's called the misweighting bias, which is you will focus on too many relationships with too many people that are not of similar minds. The reason the Amish work is that they find people with very similar worldviews. And then everything falls into place. You know, I went, I remember the first time on an Amish farm, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Took a bus. I got off from the modern world and I walked down a lane, actually similar to this, and it was like going back in time. People ask, why'd you go to the Amish? I was like, I wanted to see what the world was like 100 years ago. I've always wanted to have a time machine from a little kid. I was like, this would be the greatest thing. Go back in time. And I did. And I remember, first thing you do at the Amish, whenever you walk in a house, you're always trying to flip the lights on because it's dark at night, but there's no... They, they remove all the, the light things. You got to light a little, uh, light something. And so I went there, and they let me stay with this older family. And I walked in, and it was like 5 at night or 5 in the evening. And they're like, dinner time. As I eat around 5, I'm like, okay. We ate, and they brought me raw milk. And I was like, has this been pasteurized? Because I grew up in the city. And, I went, and they're like, nope. Straight from the cow. And I was like, uh, you sure I'm not going to die from this? And it was a guy named Noah Hoover. He said, Ty, I'm 80 years old. I've been drinking that since I was a little kid. I got 15 kids. It worked okay for me. I was like, okay. So I drank that. And then done eating, 6.30 or whatever. And they said, time for bed. And I was like, okay. There's no video games. There's no light. Uh, I mean, they got candles or whatever, lamps. So I went to bed. One thing I learned, a little side note, if you go to bed at 7 o'clock when the sun goes down, 
you feel good the next day. It's amazing. Because as Joel Salton said in the very beginning, nature laughs last. Your circadian rhythm evolved to be around light. Hunter-gatherers, there's still hunter-gatherers on the planet now in Tanzania, the Hadzas. They go to bread around 8, 9 o'clock, sleep about 8 to 10 hours. Um, so I was there. You ever slept at somebody's house and then you feel like you overslept because you hear people outside and you're like, oh, you feel like a bad guest. You jump out. So at about 3 in the morning, I hear these noises outside. Uh, and I, I mean upstairs. And I'm like, or downstairs, sorry. And I realized it was, she, the wife was up making breakfast. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go back to bed. It's only 3 in the morning. So I go to bed, and I wake up, and it was like the village of people had woken up. And I was like, oh, my God, the first night at the Amish, I overslept till 9 o'clock. There was kids playing outside, people going by in horses and wagons. And I jumped out of bed. I didn't have a clock watch on me. And I ran out to the living room, and it was 4.10 in the morning. <laughs> and we ate breakfast and they went to work at 4.30 you started out and by 12 o'clock you had done a lot of stuff and I realized <laughs> I've worked 8 hours and it's noon <laughs> which brings me to the next thing uh, we live in a world anybody ever read 4 hour work week things like this I will tell you these are incorrect ways to understand the world you do not want four-hour work week. I'll read you something interesting. I will be able to find this. This is from Thomas Edison, who is a man with immense impact. He died with a, a thousand patents. And this is what he said. And I, I think my time's up, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave with this last. I know you guys are hungry. Nothing worse than the guy before lunch taking too long. Uh, here's what he said. I was wondering what would have happened to me if some smooth talker had converted me to the theory of the eight-hour day and, not co and convinced me that I was not fair to my fellow workers to put forth my best efforts. I am glad that the eight-hour day had not been invented when I was a young man. If my life had been made up of eight-hour days, I don't believe I could have accomplished a great deal. This country would not amount to as much as it has if the young men of 50 years ago had been afraid to work. Now, that was the problem in the 1800s. People were going, oh, I only want to work eight hours a day. Now you got it down to people in the modern world. We've become so weak, and Will Durant says this, nations are born stoic and die Epicurean. Never forget that. Stoics were people, Epicureans followed, were Greek philo uh, philosophy, school of thought, which said, you should live for today, live for the things that make you feel good. And Stoics were the first investors. Each of you, uh, I didn't talk much about business, but the most highly correlated uh, industry you can be in if you want to accumulate res scarce resources. And by the way, whenever I speak to a group that's not as capitalistic as we are in America, before you hate money too much, and I don't want to presume because I have no idea actually about this group, but... Remember, money represents, in its truest sense, reciprocal altruism. Now, this is a controversial thing that may get people arguing and mad at me. People who don't accumulate money oftentimes do so because they never left any impact on the world. You can hate Bill Gates all you want, but, and not you, but 
America, me. He's a controversial guy. But all the governments in the world, UK economy about $15 trillion. US is about the same, $15 trillion. $30 trillion, net worth of the world, $250, $300, $400 dollars have not been able to eradicate smallpox, malaria. Tremendous death suffering from those two things. One man who did something of impact, who worked not four hours a week, but as he said, from age 20 to age 30, I never took a day off, not even one, 3,650 days. But he experienced flow. And more important, he now will go to his grave in one of the 67 steps best ways, which is ask yourself about the funeral test. When Adolf Hitler died, committed suicide with Eva Braun in a bunker in the bottom of Berlin, uh, in, a Ber in Berlin, nobody cared, well, nobody was sad. In fact, he failed the ultimate test of life, which was people were happy when he died. When Nelson Mandela died last year, the world wept. When Mahatma Gandhi died, five, six hundred million people, I think at that time in India, stopped what they were doing. When Mother Teresa died, people remembered. You, now, Bill Gates is a controversial person, but I will tell you this, he's almost eradicated single-handedly with his foundation, smallpox, malaria. So, going back to this, do not be afraid to accumulate, don't use the word money, I call it scarce resources. That's all money represents. Do not be afraid, as long as you do it in an altruistic way, there are people who accumulate wealth without. McDonald's, for example, has been, and you, you brought this up, four I'd say there's three types of business. Level one business, I hope nobody pursues. That is where you make money at the expense of other people. I would say McDonald's does that. Makes $20 billion a year, making the world diabetic and fat and unhealthy. Then you have level two businesses, which are neutral. You own a hotel, Bob, maybe. But level three businesses are those in which you accumulate scarce resource, but at the same time, you do it within a reciprocal exchange. And that would maybe be Oprah Winfrey or something like that, you could say. Leave the world a better place. So don't be, to get there, you will have to put in a lot of hours. There is no four-hour work week. As I say, if you're playing poker, Never be the sucker. <laughs> All right, I think that's my time. Uh, I have a website, tylopez.com, if you want to be on my free book of the day summaries. And uh, I hope that was appropriate for your audience. Thank you.